0: 4 uh, I'm sure you'll find it on the next page. It's definitely one of the easier ones to find and a shorter <laughs> one to read. So, Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thank you, Lizzie. Uh, Good morning. Let me just set this recording. Oh, it is recording. Um, Let's pray as we start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the holy God. There is none like you. You are the God who created us in the first place. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you have revealed yourself to us. Would you humble us as we come to your word? Help us be people who tremble at your word. Thank you that we're not on our own as we come to your word. You've you've given us your spirit and one another. And we pray that you would speak to us now. We pray that you would show us Jesus. We pray that you would show us your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you work too much or too little? Do you work too much or too little? Um, What might um, your spouse say about that, or, or your friends, your co-workers? Do you work too much or too little? Do you have a pattern of work and rest that is a healthy one. What might, again, what might those who know you best, what might they say about you and, and that answer? We're going to be thinking about work and rest this morning. Um, uh, that Sabbath is, is from the Hebrew word to rest. And I'm very aware that for, for, for some Christians over the years, it's been a, a very contentious issue. And there may well be a range of opinions amongst us as we gather here this morning as to exactly how or, or whether what we've read in, in our Bibles here, how that applies to us today. Now a guy I know who grew up in Northern Ireland, um, he's about my age, and he remembers when he was a kid that some of the local Christians would literally chain up swings and playgrounds on a Sunday as they felt it wasn't appropriate to play on a Sunday. That's one extreme of the spectrum, isn't it? For other Christians, it's observing the Sabbath in that kind of way is obsolete because Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets, and so it no longer applies to us. And they would cite uh, verses like uh, Colossians two sixteen and 17. Here they are up on, on the screen. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now perhaps a generation or so ago, for us as as Christians, there was a danger of being too legalistic about observing the Sabbath um, and exactly how that works and what we should and shouldn't do. I would suggest that, that nowadays that's not so much our problem. I would suggest today we're not slaves to the Sabbath, but we're slaves to our work instead. Our problem is that we don't rest, that we can't rest. Maybe that's due to the general culture of of the world around us today. Relentless, always connected, always on. The city that never sleeps, if you live in New York. Maybe it's specific to the organisation that you're a part of. Perhaps we're working for borderline exploitative bosses or or companies. And their demands, they're they're wanting their pound of flesh from us as as we go about our work. Perhaps it's parents driving us on to fulfil our potential, pass our exams or get the right job or all all of those sorts of things. And we wonder sometimes... How much is our success actually their success in their minds and that kind of thing? But perhaps if we're honest, our inability to rest, maybe it doesn't so much spring from those external things. They certainly don't help us. But perhaps deeper down, it's a heart thing for us as well. Maybe we, we deep down want to prove ourselves. Our well-being depends on our success, so we're all out for it. Or perhaps on the other extreme, we're, we're terrified of being found out. Uh, we've got imposter syndrome. What if people really see how I am in this job, and if they find out the truth, and maybe it's that fear that drives us to relentlessly work. Well, there's nothing good about any of that but it's where we find ourselves today, isn't it? I want us to see this morning a better story. This is not how it needs to be. And actually what is spelled out in these early chapters of Genesis is profoundly good, profoundly life-changing, profoundly life-giving. So as we think about the Sabbath this morning, I want us to see the goodness of God. So this morning we're going to see, um, I've got three headings, a pattern of rest, a promise of eternal rest, and a people of rest. So that's where we're heading, three Ps. So first of all, a pattern of rest. So have a look to those verses that uh, Lizzie read to us. But uh, have a look at at the last verse of chapter 1. First of all, it fits neatly with this little section. Here's what God said. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So last week as we saw the creation of man, woman in God's image is the climax of creation. But it's not the goal. Verse 2, chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd begun doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. It's really striking as you kind of read these chapters and kind of meditate and think on them more to see that God is a worker. And, uh, and he completes his work. And in verse 31 of chapter 1, we get this majestic summary of God's creative work. Now throughout chapter 1, as, as we've seen, after each stage of creation, verse 10, verse 12, <laughs> verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, God saw that it was good. And it was good, it was good, it was good. It, it's the repeated refrain. But here, notice the formula is, is altered slightly. God's verdict on the sum of all of his creating is that it is very good. And actually, there's, the word really is missing from, from our translation that we've got here. So it it, it should be, was really very good. It's was really very good. As God looked at the sum of all his creating, that's his verdict on it. It was really very good. You get a sense of his enthusiasm and exuberance and, and the joy after completing his work. This is his verdict. And the goal of it all, is rest. And so work and rest are intrinsically linked together. There's, there's something of the satisfaction of a job well done that is expressed in the rest that we have afterwards, that, that we see here in in Genesis. And even poetically, the way it's, it's structured... And um, Moses, as he writes this, is, is wanting to show us that what's here is important. He's broken the pattern from elsewhere already, but it, there's three lines in, in, in verse two, and, and the middle word is seventh in each of those three lines: Seventh, 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 work, 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 repeated, poetically, grammatically. Moses is wanting to show us that this is significant to, to highlight, that there's important things here. And look at what God says about the Sabbath uh, in verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So he blessed it. God blessed it. What else has he blessed so far? Well, in chapter 1, verse 22, God blessed the, uh, the, the, the animals that would go in the in the in water and in the seas. Uh, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And in verse 28, uh, man and woman, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God's blessing so far has been about fruitfulness and about life. How might that apply to a day? That's quite a strange thing, isn't it? And also, when we see the second, thing, he blesses it, but he's, he, he makes it holy. He sets it apart. When you go through the Old Testament, the things that God blesses are, are people and, and places and tools and altars and clothes and, and those kind of things. Here, it's a day, it's rest that God makes holy. And blesses. So, what's that telling us? Well, it's telling us that rest is important, that it's good, that there's something life giving about it, there's blessing here. So, we do well to think seriously about what that means for us. And so, there's a pattern here six days of work, one day of rest. And actually, it's 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 so important. It's that it makes it into the top ten of the commandments. So in Exodus twenty, here's the the fourth commandment um, up on the screen here. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you. Nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See the pattern again. Six days work one day of rest. And in the fourth commandment, it's it's you and your household and, and the wider community. So your rest as an individual shouldn't make it difficult for for someone else to get some rest on that day as well. And what's the reason in the Ten Commandments as to to why we should observe this rest? Well, he goes back to these verses from Genesis. Because that's the pattern God started at creation. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as the law is restated... The fourth commandment is the same as it is in Exodus. But in verse 15, here's what is added on to that restatement of the law. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember that you were slaves. That's what's added in, and this, this kind of retelling of, of the law, the restatement of the law. Remember that, that you were slaves. There was no rest in Egypt, there was no days off. There was no rest. But now, now he has rescued you with his outstretched arm and, and saved you. Now, part of your, your rest is to remember. That you were once slaves, but the Lord has, has, has rescued you. Now you are free. And part of observing the Sabbath is, is to remember that and to glory in that and to enjoy that. As you go on through, through the Old Testament, it's striking how the Sabbath is described by, by God himself as a gift to us, so in Exodus 16, when uh, when the Lord is talking about the manna from heaven that is to come um, every day uh, for God's people whilst they're in, in the wilderness, and how on the on the sixth day there's a double portion, so they don't need to go out and get it on on the on the Sabbath. The Lord says this: Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's, it's, it's a gift from him. So how can we summarize where we've got to so far? It's important. It's woven into the nature of, of creation and the world it's, that God has made. And It's woven into our nature as, as human beings made in the image of God. Part of that means that we rest too. And that it's important. And there's a relationship between um, hard work and rest. The two go together, work and rest. Not too much, not too little, but work and rest. And rest is a, is, is a gift for us. The Sabbath is a, is a gift for us. It's for our good, it's for our blessing. We're to enjoy God when we rest. And we're to remember that we were slaves, but now we have been redeemed. To enjoy the freedom. That we have. So keep all those things in mind as we head into the New Testament and see how the New Testament draws out that Sabbath pattern of rest for us to follow, but also shows us that this Sabbath pattern of rest is also a promise of eternal rest. So we've seen the pattern of rest, we're going to move on to looking at the promise of eternal rest. So even in in Genesis two, there's a sense that creation has been building towards this lasting rest. Every other day in creation has an evening and a morning, and then the next day. But notice for the seventh day, there is no evening. There is no next day. And it's fascinating to see how rest is 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 used in the as, in the story of the Bible to describe uh, the promised land that God had promised his people once he'd rescued them out out of slavery in in Egypt. Um, So way back when God's people are on the the banks of the Jordan, on the edges of the promised land, listen to to what God says to them as he's rebuking his people for their disobedience. Listen to what he says right at the end of this verse. So in uh, Psalm 95, this is David speaking. He says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did on that day at Maso in the wilderness when your ancestors tested me. They they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Rest follows on from the completion of the work of, of rescue. It's, it's the goal, it's, it's the end point. And that generation of stiff-necked Israelites refused to trust in God and missed out on that rest in the promised land because of their disobedience and, and their rebellion. But just as God's rescue of, of the Israelites is, is a shadow of the much greater rescue of, of the Lord Jesus. So the rest of, of Canaan, the promised land, is even with its flowing milk and honey, which always sounded a bit sticky to me when I was thinking about that in Sunday school. So the, the rest of Canaan, the promised land, so that is just a shadow of the eternal rest that is coming up for us in, in heaven. And the writer to the Hebrews picks up on on this. So Hebrews 4, verses 8 to 11. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would would, uh, not have spoken about it another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience see what the writer of the hebrews is saying there there is an eternal rest the promise of eternal rest that the the bible story has been heading for and uh, and his warning to us is to Make sure we don't miss out on that. So all of this brings us to to the Lord Jesus. And the run-ins that he had with the teachers of the law and the the, the Pharisees. They'd made a crucial mistake. And we've seen so far that the Sabbath is a gift for us. It's about rest and refreshment. It's about enjoying God. It's about remembering his rescue and glorying in that. But the Jewish teachers, the Pharisees, had turned the Sabbath into nitpicking, legalistic drudgery. They'd got so consumed with the not working part that they'd lost sight of what it was really all about. They'd put laws around laws around laws to to stop any kind of, Hint of work in those days. So people would sleep in their clothes so they wouldn't need to put them on when they woke up on the Sabbath. There was limits as to how far they could walk. All of these kind of crazy things. And they confront Jesus about his approach to the Sabbath, thinking he's way out of line with what the Bible says. But in Mark 2, one of of those such instances when Jesus talks to them about the Sabbath, Jesus says this to them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's an astounding thing for him to say, isn't it? He's saying he's the one who is in charge of God's rest. But more than that, he's saying he's the one who's going to usher in this eternal rest. That the Bible story has been looking forward to. That, that, that his people have been in longing for. He's the one who's going to finally fully usher in that. And make it possible for us to enter into that rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a promise that is. As uh, reading a book by um, John Hindley, um, Serving Without Sinking, I really recommend that book to you. I I, um, I turn to it uh, quite often, but here's what he says about that promise. Jesus calls to him those who are weary. Weariness is the mixture of tiredness and despondency. It's when you have slogged hard at a task that seems unending. And then you stand staring at the mountain of work still to do. Weariness is what you feel in your bones during a long illness, where good health is a faint memory and something you fear will never recapture. Weariness is getting home with no idea how to make your relationship with your husband or wife or child happy again. Weariness is turning up to the church prayer meeting because that's what you do, hoping it doesn't overrun, looking forward to getting home and falling into bed. It's right into this weariness that Jesus speaks, into the burdens of life, of pain, of sadness, illness, weakness, sin, failure, guilt, shame. Jesus speaks and he gives a wonderfully simple promise. Come to me and I will give you rest. He promises everything we hope for, everything our hearts cry for. It's striking, isn't it? jesus sees all the weariness in our hearts he sees the burdens that we carry that nobody else has a clue about he sees the worries on our minds he sees the stress in our lives and he looks us in the eye and says come to me and i will give you rest from all of that but i wonder what makes us skeptical about that promise (laughs) It is such a glorious promise and we long to believe it and stretch out and grasp it in our hands. But perhaps there's something that sceptical makes us sceptical about it or not quite fully believe it. Perhaps we think, okay, we know that a day will come when Jesus will come again and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be able to enjoy him and his rest perfectly forever. Hallelujah. But, but here and now, can we expect that kind of rest that Jesus promised? Is, is, is that what it is, just a promised way off in eternity? What about here and now? Well, let me ask us just for a couple of minutes, what stops us resting now? Um, up on the screen, I've got um, the four G's. These are four liberating truths about God from uh, Tim Chester. Uh, It's a great book he wrote, You Can Change. And he he talks about these four liberating, liberating truths about God. And he says so much of our sinful behavior and negative emotions flow from not believing these things on a kind of functional level. Maybe a confessional level here on church, it's easy to sing along and say these things. But on a functional level, day by day monday morning god is great so we don't have to be in control god is glorious so we don't have to fear others god is good so we don't have to look elsewhere god is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves those four truths so why let's let's think about rest in connection with these four things why don't we rest Why do we find it hard to rest? Perhaps it's about control. We can't rest because we think everything's going to fall apart without us, if we do. Well, let's think about this truth that God is great. God is great. So we don't have to be in control. If this is an issue for us, turn to passages like, Colossians 1, meditate on the greatness of the Lord Jesus, the one who is before all things, the one in whom all things hold together, the one who created this entire universe. He's the one who's supreme and sufficient and in control. So we don't have to be. Or perhaps it's a fear of others. We, we can't rest because of what our boss thinks of us or what our colleagues or, or or what our family say. Well, maybe we need to meditate on the truth that God is glorious. Meditate on the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus. Turn to, to Revelation chapter 1 and that image um, of the Lord Jesus in his glory shining out. There's no one like him. Spend some time to uh, to yeah, to just fix your eyes on Him and His glory, His Majesty. God is glorious, so we don't need to fear other people. Or perhaps we don't rest because of this just desire we have to kind of prove ourselves. We we can't rest because we need to prove ourselves to colleagues, family, teachers. Or even perhaps ourselves. God is gracious. Maybe we need to meditate on on God's graciousness to us. Why not go somewhere like Luke 15? We were there just a, a few Sundays ago. Have a look at the father in that story. How does he treat his two sons who, who both... Treat him so horrifically. He goes out. He takes the initiative. He throws his arms around. He forgives. He doesn't treat either of them as they deserve. But showers them with grace and love. And that's how our father treats us. Now I don't want to treat this as, as some sort of trite, easy, simple formula. But what I want to do is just to stimulate us to, to think and to reflect and to search our own hearts and to search in God's word and to, to, to look to these great truths about who he is so we can lay hold of them so that we can um, get into better patterns of rest which will be so good for us. So we thought about a pattern for rest. We've thought about the promise of eternal rest. And finally, as, as we finish up, um, I want us to think for a minute about what it means for us to be a people of rest. And I want us to think about actually how as, as Christians we have an opportunity in our, in our world which is terrible at rest. To be an example. To be a light in a dark world. A people of rest who draw others to come to Jesus and find that rest themselves too. We've been thinking this year about how we can be making Jesus known. Perhaps this is one of the ways we can be doing that as a community, as families, as as individuals. So what might it mean for us to be a people of rest? What are some of the practical applications of these things? I should say I'm not going to be too prescriptive. I'm not going to get into whether you should play sport on Sundays or or, all those kinds of things. Perhaps some of you would like me to do that. Um, because I think there's no easy answers for some of those things. And it's for us to, to work out um, with, with our families, with our, our churches, what we think about that. I, I would just say um, Christians in sport have uh, got some great resources on this. There's a really helpful podcast that I listened to earlier this week. Um, Chris Sharp sent it my way. So do look up that. So I'm not going to be too prescriptive. But from all that we've seen and all that we've, we've gone through, I want us to, to, to see that, that we can live lives that echo this pattern of work and rest. It's hardwired into a, the fabric of creation and, and our nature as human beings. So we should live lives that echo this pattern. Because we recognise that there is blessing and there is goodness in resting as God has set us set out for us. And as Christians, we have been rescued by Jesus from slavery. And we're looking forward to to an eternal rest. And taking a day off each week is an expression of that commitment. Is an expression that we are not slaves to work. We're not slaves to other people's opinions or to trying to prove ourselves. But we are gloriously free in the Lord Jesus. And it's an expression of the truth that God is the one who is in total control. That he is sovereign and not us. He works while we sleep. Taking time to rest, to stop work, is an expression of that. that that's what we believe. That God is sovereign and not us, isn't it? So let's make sure we have a regular rhythm of rest. Now in, in the New Testament, there's no particular day specified as the Sabbath. The early church started meeting on, on Sundays, the first day of the week, as this was the Lord's day. This was when he rose from the dead. Meeting together with church family on a Sunday was a priority for, for the early church. It wasn't seen as a, a kind of optional extra or you know, a nice thing to do. It, it was a priority for them and, and, and it is for us today here as well. I'm very aware that Sundays might not work for everyone with their work patterns. Sometimes you have very little control over the shift patterns that are set by your employer. I totally get that. But let's make sure we are taking time to rest, that we are setting aside time to do that. And let's make gathering together as God's people a priority for us. As, as that can help us in what rest is supposed to be about, remembering we are saved, glorying in, in the Lord Jesus and enjoying him. And as we um, finish up, there's three top tips that I pinched from Tim Keller. Uh, the first one is that when it comes to our rest, we need to make sure we're planning in unstructured, unplanned time as we do that. Actually, as you trace through the laws in, uh, in the Old Testament on the Sabbath, you'll find laws about leaving fields fallow on the, on the seventh year. So the kind of over-farming doesn't destroy the nutrients and the, that kind of thing. And, and it's, it's just to, to leave it fallow and to see what grows, to see what comes up. Over-farming can destroy the nutrients. We, it's important for us to kind of heed that. And um, we need time to just stop. We need time to just see what God wants to grow in us and what he's saying to us. And in our culture, everything rages against us trying to do that. So plan in some unstructured, unplanned time. Secondly, ask what recharges you. You, what what recharges yourself? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Being in a big group of people can either exhaust you or give you energy. So make sure you know what what rest is going to recharge you and and not exhaust you further. And have a think: is, is it art? Is it sport? Is it friends? Is it food? all these good things that God has provided for us, how can these, um, how can we enjoy these, these good gifts? How can we make sure when when we're coming to rest that we're going to do things that are going to recharge us and not exhaust us? And thirdly, think in seasons. Think in seasons. It may be that in the course of, of your working life, there are seasons where you know it's going to be far busier than others. There's going to be times where that will require extra energy and more time than the normal well i'd say don't let that continue longer than it needs to and don't justify working harder for normal for extended periods just because in your mind oh it, it's just a season i'm just doing this extra work j- just for a season be accountable with spouse friends family about how we're doing all that well time has gone Um, but let me finish up with Jesus' promise again as as, as I pray come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart And you will find rest for your your souls. Heavenly Father, how we need that. How our world needs that. Father, would you help us to, to truly do that. To come to you. To come to the Lord Jesus. To come to find the rest that only he can give. How we thank you. For all that, all that he did, giving his life, dying on the cross in our place, in order that we could be forgiven. In order that we could enter into this glorious rest, now and forever. Help us to be people who, who rest. Help us to be people who aren't slaves to our work or slaves to, to anything else. Help us to take your yoke on us. Help us to know that you are gentle and humble and to entrust ourselves to you day by day. Please help us by your spirit. Amen.